Believe it? I don't know, Charles. Ah! I don't think it'll work, Charles. It will work! No! It will work! What one man can do, another can do. You can't kill the bear, Charles. He's ahead of us all the time. It's like he's reading our minds. He's stalking us, for God's sakes! He... Ah! I'm gonna kill the bear. Say it again! I'm gonna kill the bear. And again! I'm gonna kill the bear! Good! What one man can do, another can do! What one man can do, another can do! Welcome oh. to Movie Boners. Oh. Hey, welcome everybody. Oh, shit. I, what I'm the sorry, fuck? man. I, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> you are just the oh, worst. God. Oh. I just can't believe I forgot to take the this stuff down. Worst. Oh. oh, my God. Oh. Oh, oh shoot. <laughs> oh, crap. I'm just like dropping everything over here. I'm sorry, oh, man. God. That was, man, my bad. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, before we forget, because we didn't do it last week, I posted on our social media, mm -hmm. but our draft is in full swing. We had three movies come out this week. Granted, we're recording on Thursday, so they're coming out today or tomorrow. Um, and I don't have box office numbers on most of them. Uh, the funny thing to mention, though, you picked Turning Red, the Disney disney plus specifically movie i yep. don't think it has any uh domestic releases in theaters no it doesn't it's straight disney plus stream service but it has like a 7.6 or something like that on imdb 7.1 last One. i saw oh okay so it nice went down. try it went down <laughs> it went down uh but there's four million of uh international dollars that you oh. got so that's good dude you've got the batman so i have to take whatever i can because yeah. the batman is just destroying every projection it had uh yeah <laughs> yeah it's doing pretty darn good and i'm a I, fool I, <laughs> I got a little extra joy this week because i no longer have the lowest rated movie marry me was the lowest rated although i also looked back at imdb's like day by day what is what movie is the number one that day and i was kind of right because marry me was the number one on valentine's day but every day before and after it was death on the nile and uncharted and all these other things oh, so, okay or dog i think but the the main joy i had was that i no longer have the lowest rated movie marry me is not the lowest rated movie what? at 6.1 uh studio 666 fell to 5.9 damn it <laughs> <laughs> so now our overall average ratings you are at 6.83 and i'm at 7.0 all um, right and our box offices i'm less than 200 million away from a billion trying to live up to my team name of team damn. name of billions and boners you know what? My team name, win or lose, my team name will always be like proper. <laughs> yeah, it works on all levels. Right? That's See, true. I was thinking outside the box. Uh, I was. <sighs> uh, this week, though, the outfit comes out, Operation Fortune comes out, and X comes out. Um, X already has a rating that's pretty high, actually, on IMDb. It's a 7.7. So I have high hopes that that will be good. I I feel like uh, box office numbers for all three of those, though, are not yeah. going to be great. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm always wrong, so I'll probably still <laughs> be wrong. 
Uh, <laughs> I just, I'm just excited to see another Ty West movie. That's why I'm mostly yeah. interested in X, and hopefully it doesn't suck. So that should be good. And well, Guy Ritchie, I, Operation Fortune's Guy Ritchie. So that has to be good too. I kind of need uh, all of that to suck, even though I don't want the Guy Ritchie movie to suck, especially. But yeah. dude, I haven't seen like any advertisement for it. Uh, I think I saw one trailer like a month or so ago. Yeah. And that was it. I'm I'm going to look at my Cinemark app and see if they're even going to have it this weekend. Yeah, I haven't heard or seen anything about it either. So that's kind of uh, unfortunate. Poor Josh Hartnett. I'm so excited to see him again. But I know. And push. I was like not going to get anything. Needs that push. Well, I could be wrong. Let's see. Here. Yeah. X. Uh, yeah, neither uh, the outfit or op, uh, the new guy Richie one would have operation fortune. Fortune. Neither of those yeah. have any opening this weekend, even though they come out this weekend. Weird. Uh, bummer. Oh, <laughs> that, that is a bummer. Especially because it's my movie. Well, I'm just taking comfort though that you are losing two big dc films this year yeah although okay can we just take a quick sec and laugh at wb reminding themselves that they're stupid yeah so they've released this huge in 2022 the world needs heroes trailer it's epic we got to see black adam flash yeah uh, aquaman stuff it was cool. The trailer is really cool. And it's like, it pumps you up for like, all right, DC heroes are coming. And then yeah, Warner Brothers is specifically. like, yeah. And then Warner Brothers is like, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> yeah. That was a terrible <laughs> idea, apparently. It, I get the impression that they're really focused on Black Adam and they, they pushed Aquaman and Flash and pushed and brought forward Shazam. Seems like the Shazam Black Adam world they're focused on, I guess. Well, I guess the the director of Shazam 2 said that this release schedule actually like messes with what they were doing. Cuz they were going to reference Flash and Aquaman before them. Yeah. Uh That sucks. And I I I guess James Wan came out and talked about Aquaman being pushed back. And he said that gives them a little more time to really hone in all the CGI effects. Cause it obviously mm. it's going to be a CGI heavy film. Yeah. I'm kind of worried that the added time is actually going to end up making the CGI look almost really bad in some scenes where it's going to be like, man, you push it out this long and that's still the green screen effect that we got. I'm hoping to be wrong. Yeah but it's possible it's possible the flash i'm like why did you push the flashback like yeah what michael keaton coming back as batman just wasn't good enough for you yeah (laughs) yeah and affleck and the whole shebang i know but there's i'm also wondering with this uh discovery merger though yeah because now there's a whole bunch of stirrings in the WB DCEU going on yeah. that I'm hoping maybe discovery head folk looked at WB and DCEU head folk and were like, you dumb. We're yeah. going to do it this way. 
Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, of course, the Restore the Snyderverse fans are latching onto it. And they're like, mm -hmm. this is like when HBO Max said, we can take this and put out a Jack Snyder Justice League. And it won't be officially WB, but we're we're related and we can take it over. Yeah, people are trying to infuse hope into the right. Discovery merger as doing the same thing or the next thing. I'm I'm just staying like, let's just see what it is. Because cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I just feel like <laughs> Warner Brothers is just gonna fuck it all up in the end game. So <laughs> that is a fair bet. That is generally what they do. Yes. So. But that's all I got. Uh, I didn't watch anything new. Uh, I know right after we record this, my daughter and I are finally sitting down to watch The Atom Project, so I'm super stoked for that. Nice. Um, that will be the only new thing that I see, because we're recording early because I have to work all the time, and this was <laughs> my only free moment. <laughs> yeah. I also did not watch anything new. Um I've been watching like TV and stuff. So, yeah. and preparing for new episodes, which are coming up. Yeah. But no new movies that I've never seen before. So, yeah. nothing to bring up there. Cool. Well, let's dive into this. Yeah. I'm very excited for this episode. The, our last few deep dives feel like they have been really crazy, weird movies. And so, it's yeah. kind of nice to watch The Edge, which is a pretty standard, classic story and movie nothing too crazy in it but really enjoyable i love the edge yeah uh i know this was on your on, on our very first episode for those that have not been with us since day one uh we did yeah. our action adventure it was our top 10 um and the edge was on your list and every time i watch it like now ever since we did that first episode Every time I yeah. watch it, I think of you and I'm like, yeah, Jake is going to be Charles. Like Jake is Charles. <laughs> Minus Hopefully being a billionaire. Bill no, no, no. Hopefully that also <laughs> would be good. Let's just speak that into existence. <laughs> put it out in the He's going to own a plane. And I was like, yeah. and I'm pretty positive that Christy is a better wife, will always be a better wife than the wife he has <laughs> in that movie. But Let's the like, so. yeah. The survivalist mentality, the uh, mm -hmm. just the way to absorb the situation as it like develops, that kind of thing. I'm always like, yeah, this is Jake. Like, <laughs> I I tell everyone, if the zombie apocalypse ever actually happened, yeah, I'm like, I would hole up with Jake and Christy because. <laughs> Jake's just going to know what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the goal. That is the goal. You got to be prepared for everything. You do. And I, I just, think, I'm I think always like, yeah, Jake's got it. I think there's something so satisfying in the, like in like survival movies in general. Um, I really like the kinds of movies where it's like one guy or one lady in, in whether they're in space or in the wild or, in the ocean and they're trying to survive and trying to solve problems. I find that so enjoyable. The edge is a little different because it's, it's still that it's still a movie about this guy trying to out like survive through nature. And you see a lot of nature's beauty and you see a lot of nature's brutality. And that's kind of one of my favorite things, but also mm -hmm. there's the added element of 
needing to survive humans. Like there's an element of human relationship and human betrayal, um, which is very interesting. Yeah. The Edge is one of my favorite movies because it's so it's so interesting and also kind of different on so many levels. Like one of the main things that stands out is you don't see a lot of movies except for Batman, I guess, where a billionaire is a good guy. Like the rich pe- the rich guy is not a piece of shit or he's not seen as like bad. And also not only is he a good guy and he, he, he continues to be good and make good choices and be nice and kind, but he also, you see kind of his perspective where he's kind of defensive against, he has to question relationships that are, brought to him up into and including his wife where he doesn't always know their true motivations. Do they actually like him? Do they actually want to know him? Are they actually his friends or are they just interested in his money and they're hitting him up for an investment opportunity or they want to steal it from him or whatever. He's always on the defense. So I think that's an interesting element of the story that you don't see a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally there with you. Uh, some of the one of the notes that I I wrote down while watching it was like I I really think Anthony Hopkins' performance in this movie mm-hmm. is very underrated. He does such an incredible job of being subtle, playing like this character who understands with this huge rich lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, you do have to be cautious with relationships. You have to be cautious with all of this. But he plays it where you can tell he's always wanting to have that connection with someone. He's always longing for it and still like kind of giving everyone the benefit of the doubt right out of the gate instead of being like standoffish or whatever. He's never really standoffish at all. He just sits down with people and he wants to hear what they have to say. He kind of goes in his own mind a lot, but the way he plays this role is so great. And there's one scene in particular. It's one of my favorite scenes. And we'll bring it up in a little bit uh, or in a little while that I was just like right there. That's the scene that just this feels so natural. It feels so just like you feel defeated with Hopkins. You feel like this Mm -hmm. poor guy. And (laughs) these days feeling sorry for the ultra billionaire plane owner Mm-hmm. By the way, I keep saying plane owner because that's like a point in the story that gets brought yeah. to him several times. Never feel sorry for someone that opens a, owns a plane. Right. But you feel sorry for his character of Charles. Cause yeah. I mean, I know everyone has that dream when they're younger or even young adulthood. And then it becomes kind of like a, a joke, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of snide dream, if you will, of like, oh, I wish I was a millionaire. I wish I could be rich. Hopkins plays the rich guy role in such a different light that we're, I guess we're not used to seeing where it's very like, Oh, he's a broken old guy who kind of like resents his money because he has to be like, he has to have walls and like, Mm -hmm. uh, space between everyone around him, which would suck. That'd be man. What a lonely fucking life. Right. Yeah. You you can't ever really get too invested, even in your marriage, because you are you're questioning that. 
when he when he says never feels like sorry for someone that owns a plane that's kind of makes you like him even more because he's self-aware he knows that he knows that he doesn't have it that bad overall and so he doesn't play the victim i guess and that makes you it even more endearing yeah but i i love this movie i i still think it's a pretty intense film even when you have seen it hundreds of times and you're watching there's still plenty of scenes in this movie where it's like that's kind of this is intense how would i react if like my plane crashed out in alaska wilderness first off i probably wouldn't do very well (laughs) honestly yeah (laughs) I, i would probably go into like an anger screaming rage that would attract the bears to kill me uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think i think a lot of people including myself like to imagine that we would do good that it would be it would be hard but it would be fulfilling and enjoyable as soon as it actually happened i know it would suck and just be the worst <laughs> thing ever and <laughs> probably wouldn't survive but you like to the, you like the fantasy that you could yeah. do it and it would be really fun and exciting when i was a kid my favorite like book was a book called hatchet and it's like a young adult story about this kid whose parents got divorced and he on the way to visiting his dad is probably in alaska or canada or something crashes and has to survive in the wilderness with just a hatchet and it's so cool um that was for a like, young adult book it was like the best that was like required reading for my class when i was in seventh grade i think we had to read mm. that book it was sixth or seventh maybe it was Oh, yeah, maybe it was sixth grade because we had to read Hatchet. We had to read The Giver and we had to read um, Wrinkle in Time, I think it was. Mm, Yeah. But I remember Hatchet and I remember being like, this is kind of crazy. And yeah, you have that fantasy of like, I would do so great. (laughs) Reality is we make fun of characters in so many movies and situations where you're like, why would you do that? You idiot. Don't do that. Yeah. The reality is, if you're put in a high stress situation, mm-hmm. you're not going to think logically most of the time, which means you're going to do something really fucking stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's one of the reasons that I think I like Anthony Hopkins' character, Charles, in this movie. And he says it later on when he's having the conversation where he's like, I don't. I, I, I just am building like a flow chart of decisions in my mind. I'd, I'm not getting emotionally invested. I generally know what I should do, what I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's largely because he is so exper- not experienced, but learned. Like he has read so much. He doesn't have any yeah. practical experience in the woods, but he has theoretical experience where he just has read so many books and survival guides and he's given a survival guide that he's just been pouring over. So he knows some things and kind of feels like he knows what to do um, until he makes a mistake. And then he he actually starts to like go down that path and has to get pulled out (laughs) of it, which I love. And he do, he has one uh, there. There's a line in this movie that just, it's one of those lines that just hits me every time I watch it. And every time I watch this and they say, and I'm always like, shit, like, <laughs> okay, I need to learn the lesson from this. And I go on like this. I'm, I'm terrible at this. This is just human nature. I think we all, well, I shouldn't generalize, but I think people have a tendency to do this where mm-hmm. we get that like surge of, okay, I need to do something 
need to get off my ass or I need to like not die of shame. Yeah. And uh, we live that for a little bit and then we just fall right into the same rut. And every time I watch this movie, it's like a reminder of like, oh, you're back in that rut. And I'm like, fuck you, yeah. man. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The whole, the whole theme of how most people, when they are lost in the woods, don't die to the wilderness. They end up dying from shame is probably my favorite part as well. It's the one that sticks to me. And, and yeah, I, I, it, it reminds me constantly not to dwell on the past, not to dwell on my mistakes, things I should have done or could have done just to think about now, move forward, yeah. think about what I can do to survive or to succeed now. It's like, it's one of the hardest lessons I think people have. And the edge is not the only movie with this whole idea of like dying of shame uh, you know, one of my all-time favorites, which is Castaway, another survivalist film, yeah, makes very similar points that you're supposed to like take away from to be like, okay, mm-hmm. I need to. It's it's time. I'm at this crossroads. It's time to make the right choice. It's time to make a different choice, if you will. Uh, yeah, and I always feel inspired, and then I'm like, yeah, okay, now I'm lazy again. It's fucking <laughs> being a human is stressful, man. Yeah. <laughs> It, the, the inconsistency is what kills me. It's like, if we could just stay on a path for enough time, it would become like a habit. We would that I ne- probably be very successful. We'd probably be doing decent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I think like, I constantly think discipline is like the one thing that separates success and unsuccess. And that's one of the hardest things to achieve is just consistency and discipline. Especially when you hit your thirties, kids, yeah. you just become kind of like cynical. You become desensitized. You just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. And I you almost get past I, a certain point, and you're like, it is what it is. Yeah, and I almost blame like TV sitcoms from eighties and nineties where they set up this whole when you're in your thirties. By that time in your thirties, you should be successful. You should have all this stuff because every character is about 30 years old yeah. and then in reality we all hit our 30s and we're like i'm not doing anything <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. damn you yeah. tv and entertainment business yeah it's I'm almost like it's not real it's almost yeah <laughs> but you know what i mean <laughs> i do like, i do it's the kind God of thing damn. that's motivational <laughs> yep one of these days we'll, we'll get real good at, it. but yeah, the edge, like I love how the movie kind of like kicks off with him opening his gifts on the plane. Mm-hmm. It, it almost feels like that's kind of where his character has been. or kind of been conditioned to where like celebrating a birthday isn't really the thing anymore. He's just going to like, well, I have a moment, I guess I'll open these couple gifts. I yeah. love that the survival guy, survival guide that he gets is like the one gift that he really focuses on because it's not the super fancy expensive watch. It's not anyone really Mm -hmm. trying to get anything out of him. It's like this cheap little hardback pocketbook almost. Yeah. And he just immediately like, Oh (laughs) yeah. It's, it seems to be given to him from his secretary or someone that he works for or works for him. I mean, and yeah, I like, I like that he, is interested in that. I like his character overall that he is oh, yeah. just interested in absorbing information and especially this kind of information. It's really cool. But <clears throat> for him to like 
be on the plane and and open those and and not really be around everybody yeah you're totally right he's 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 just kind of not even celebrating it's just kind of opening them up because he has time while he's flying to alaska and it's the one of the interesting things about the movie is that you never really know what he does you never know why he's rich you never know why he's a billionaire you just assume like they say he is and you take you believe he is because of the the way that he is kind of i think yeah he has a very uh Oh yeah, he's very successful. He's got that demeanor that like when you see him on the screen, even if you didn't know his character was a billionaire right from the get-go, yeah. You just kind of get that sense immediately like, yeah, he's rich. Like yeah. <laughs> this guy's rich. I always feel bad for him though. So, I guess we should say if you haven't watched The Edge, stop it, go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if if you're not watching it yet, but you should go watch it. So, it's about this billionaire goes to this like remote cabin. Well, it's not really like a cabin. It's like a resort almost. Well, not even a full resort. What would you call yeah. it? Yeah. Like I would say it's a cabin. It's like it's a pretty big house, but it's one guy's house that has he's built on a lake in Alaska. Yeah. And uh he's essentially let let Anthony Hopkins, who's the a billionaire, he's just kind of come along for the ride. It seems like his wife uh is it well she's a supermodel so that's another reason why you assume that he yeah he of course he's rich but Elle mcpherson is his wife she plays mickey and they she and her photographer played by alec baldwin robert he they fly up to alaska for a photo shoot and the husband uh anthony hopkins as charles just kind of tags along because he is free or is taking vacation or whatever and they like so he fly he tags along for this photo shoot. It just happens to also be his birthday, but mm-hmm. I always feel bad for him. It's his birthday, and like they try to play a prank on him. He doesn't really get a birthday celebration. It's mm-hmm. like soul. No, we're just here for the photo shoot. Yours is just we'll just conveniently do it all at one shot, which yeah. I get. I mean. If you can plan and do several things at once, being efficient is cool. But sometimes, sometimes, give <laughs> yeah. the older guy a break and like celebrate his birthday. Um, yeah. But yeah, so while they're away, uh, Charles, Bob, and uh, oh man, I forget the other guy's name, the other character, but it's Harold Perrineau, who Lost fans Steven. will recognize. Uh, Steven. Yeah. Um, the three of them get in a plane crash and and have to survive the wilderness in Alaska. Yeah. Um, and that's what the movie's about. It's but, really yeah, I cool. I always feel bad go, for Definitely go watch it before you finish the episode because we're going to talk all about it. <laughs> yeah. We're going to spoil it all. Um, but that's what we do on these deep dives. I feel like people should know that by now, but yeah, we still got to say it. Yeah, yeah. And there's not like, it's not really the kind of movie you can spoil. There's not really any twists or anything, but it's still no. worth experiencing before we talk about all of the like meaning that we take from it and the themes and story and characters mm-hmm. and why it's so great. So then you'll know what we're is. talking it, about. It really is great. And, and if people didn't know, and I learned this from listening to the podcast, uh, Jenna Fisher, who played Pam on The Office, 
Okay. This is one of her all-time favorite movies. There was a whole episode where she talked about this movie at a decent length. Like she uh-huh. went on for a while about this, and I was like, "Hey, Pam and I have something in common. We both love this movie." I knew uh, she was cool for some reason. This must be it. <laughs> this must be the one. Is that uh, why you're wearing a Dunder Mifflin shirt? No, no. I just happened to grab a shirt. <laughs> it's a funny coincidence. <laughs> it is, but. Yeah, it was just like, I haven't worn my Dunder shirt for a while. I'm going to wear that today. <laughs> and then, yeah. That's funny. I thought so. <laughs> so one of the, like, the movie sets up from the very beginning. Very, that's kind of the thing we were talking about before, where they get off the plane in Alaska and the mechanic is talking to him and he's like, oh, that that thing's a beauty. I'd love to get my hands on that. And uh, Charles looks back and sees his wife, you know, just a supermodel kind of posing. Obviously it's Elle McPherson. And, uh, and he's like, what, how dare you? And he's like, I'm talking about your plane. You have like a multi thousand dollar plane. And uh, he's like, Oh yeah. So you can tell he's kind of defensive already of just like, this is constant for him. People coveting his wife or coveting his life and his money and his house and his cars and all the stuff that he has. And so he's just on, on defense, which is not a great way to live. Honestly. It's pretty shitty. If you ask me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's right. Like, so Alec Baldwin plays a douchebag really well. And this is one of his uh, bigger douchebag roles. I, I hate his character from the get-go. And yeah. there's so many reasons why I hate this character. It's just like every line he has, everything he does throughout the whole course of the film, I'm like, mm-hmm. I just hate you. Like, you're a bad guy. Like, I just, yeah. You annoy me. You're a jackass. And not in a <laughs> funny way to do, like, gross stunts, but, like, you're a bad jackass. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I I I dislike him so much, but I like how he's written. I think that he's a well-rounded, yeah. well-motivated character. Um and it'll come up a lot more during the episode, I think, but he seems to be kind of cliché in some ways where he is is a a a guy who doesn't value like he, he he's obviously making charles feel like this guy is kind of his friend or he's friendly towards him but also charles is on guard against him that he is is jealous of what charles has that he thinks his wife's attractive or he wants his money or something like that and so he's always on guard against it and the way it's written and the way alec baldwin plays robert i love so much because he he's he's the kind of guy that I've like seen a lot and like he's, he gives Charles a knife. So he knows, he knows that Charles would find it's cool, but he doesn't have his own knife. Like when they end up getting crashed. So he, he doesn't think it's useful. He just thinks it's a cool thing that Charles would like. And, and he, the way he talks to like Steven or, or any other character, he like seems like he wants to be macho, but also isn't really capable of anything and he's over the course of the movie he tend he's he is the villain basically like the the survival against nature is the is a big part of the movie and the fight against the bear is a big part of the movie but it's not 
the climax, in my opinion. The climax is their conflict between each other yeah. as they're stranded together. So I love how the movie sets that up from the very beginning, that their relationship well, and- is friendly but tense at the same time. Yeah, you, you can tell immediately, like, both are just kind of tolerating each other because mm-hmm. they, like, have to. Um, I also, as much as I hate the character, and I got to give Alec Baldwin props on why I hate his character so much, because he does do a really good job playing this character in this sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you also, and I don't feel sorry for the character at all in this, but due to, he strikes me as like, of all the characters in this film, he's the most insecure and he takes that insecurity out on everyone and everything around him. He just seems to like, it's a whole defensive, like defense mechanism for him. He just, he's a Royal douchebag in this movie, but Baldwin plays that really well. Uh, He makes a lot of like jokes where he will like raise his voice and do like a lispy stereotypical gay New York accent kind of thing. And yeah, and you you feel like he's trying to make himself seem more macho by doing it, but it, all I think of is you're a douchebag that lives in New York and is a photographer. Like you're not better than any of those people. You have a lot of issues, dude. You should probably sort some of this shit out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> before it's too late. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. I love how like I love the pacing of this movie. My only gripe about the edge, honestly, mm-hmm. is that I wish it would have been a little bit longer. I wish we could have mm. seen a little bit more of them in the wilderness, a, a little bit extra of the survival and their yeah. conflict and all that. I would have been totally cool with seeing more of that. Mainly because I mean the nature is so beautiful up there, and mm-hmm. you brought it up where like. It's true beauty, but then there's a brutality, like an unforgiving brutality that comes with the wilderness, comes with nature. Mm -hmm. And the movie does a pretty good job of like reminding you of this, of like, yeah, it's so serene. It's beautiful until you're alone in it. And then it's like, how the hell does anything survive here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of my favorite things about survival movies is is just that struggle against the inevitability of death and and <laughs> defeating it every day until you can't anymore. And yeah. it's just it's just crazy. But the I love the setup to it of setup up to the crash, you know, they give you the super heavy foreshadowing which if you don't catch on to it like do you watch movies at all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where they talk about hitting birds with the propellers. Um, but the, I love the whole, all the stuff at the cabin. You know, he meets the, the old man that owns the place and cares for the place. And he strikes you immediately as like this guy who has seen some shit, mm-hmm. knows a lot, and is probably the most grounded character out of everyone. Of course, then he's you got a like he's got a big old scar on his face. He has a friend who's like a Native American that's up hunting bears somewhere, and he's a photograph of him. Yeah, you yeah. feel like he's just a a grizzled, down to earth guy from Alaska that's not affected by the the real superficial world. Right. Of course, you 
learn a harsh lesson about that a little bit later. Uh, yeah. We'll get to that here in a minute, but I, I love the whole setup. I love how quiet Charles is and mm-hmm. how he spends that whole, the whole setup is him just to me really absorbing mm-hmm. these people. He's absorbing kind of how his wife acts around these people when she's there, like to do her job. Mm-hmm. He seems so uncomfortable and I would be too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I would have some reservations. I'd be like, maybe some conversations with the wife, just this kind of touchy, grabby yeah. profession. Like, I don't, I don't know. Boundaries. Don't me. I get it's a modern world, but I'm all for boundaries. It's okay yeah. for both parties. Well, and especially uh, <laughs> what you learn later that, that it should have been obvious to him that yeah. there weren't boundaries and that was part of the problem. And I just, I love his absorption of everything. Mm-hmm. And you kind of take it as like, he's, he's really, to me, his whole tagging along, especially by the end of the movie, even before the end of the film, to me, he's really kind of tagged along mainly to decide, do I even want to be a part of any of this anymore? Like, yeah does any of this really mean anything? And if it doesn't, can I step? I mean, if you're a billionaire, you can step away right, and be fine. Uh, if you, if you lose billions of dollars after retirement, what mm-hmm. did you do with your money? Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah they, they have an interesting conversation as they go through all the survival stuff. And it's just, a, it's such a short conversation, but in the middle of the movie, it comes up and it seems like he, does want to start his life over that he's, he's interested in, in not pursuing what he was pursuing, whatever his job mm-hmm. was, whatever all of his businesses and investments and all this stuff were just let it go. And he found meaning in the wilderness and, and kind of returning to nature in a way and that yeah. it's fulfilling in a way that the real world ne- never was. So uh, that's definitely very interesting. Yeah. I just, I, I love, I, <laughs> I always feel so bad for him at the birthday celebration where they play the prank on him with the bear and uh, it's like the quick, Hey, happy birthday. Ha ha ha. Next day. All right. Photo shoot. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) But his, I I just, I love Anthony Hopkins in general. And I said it earlier, but watching him move through this whole film the way he is like, he kind of stays in the background, but obviously he's pretty forefront for a lot of it, mm-hmm. but he always seems like he's just distanced and he's just like calculating everything around him, but not in a, a standoffish way. He's calculating it in a way that, you know, how, how do I make this work? Do I want it to make, do I want to make any of this work? What am I even doing with this stuff? You're almost cal- You can almost see him calculating. Like if I left now, how well would I be off? You know, what would I lose? What, what are the pros and cons? You can really get all of that just in watching him and his interactions with all of these people at the cabin. Yeah. Which I just, I love this performance so much. And I was like, watching it this week, I was just, I got giddy, like, yeah. watching him in this. And, and I really, like, 
I love Hopkins. Not just, I know everyone immediately jumps to Hannibal Lecter on one of them that mm-hmm. that's one of his best roles. I actually think he's had a couple roles that are even better, but they don't get the recognition they deserve. And yeah. this is this is borderline one of them to me because of how quiet he is. Yeah. I think that's a lot for a, a big name actor to be in a quiet role, especially yeah. when you're the, like top name on the bill. <laughs> right. He does a lot of like very subtle things with his face or body or, or whatever, or just quietness. Like where, when he's not saying something that's even more impactful than when he does, the edge is a great example of that. Um, I think he does a similar thing in Westworld, at least the first season of Westworld where he's in that. Um, and it's, it's a lot reminds me a lot of this. Yeah. It's a good example, but I, I like how he, he is quiet. He's also like pretty humble. He is mm-hmm. someone who's extremely successful and extremely knowledgeable, but he never claims to be anything. And he never tries to, he never brags about it. Other people brag for him. His wife is like, you can ask him anything. He knows everything. He's the most knowledgeable wise man on the planet. And, uh, and he's like, I, I don't, I don't claim to be that he <laughs> right. proves it, but like through everything that he does, but he never like tries to get any, uh, like, like benefits or acclaim from it, which is really mm-hmm. cool. It makes you like him more. It does. Well, and I think him playing that character and the way the character was written, all that, the humility of him really comes through. And you can see him trying to make human connections. So he doesn't, you get the sense like he's never held mm-hmm. his riches, his success, the trophy wife uh, right. over anyone's head. Cause he, he spends, I mean, especially with the older guy who's his generation. Yeah. He spends a, a decent amount of time trying to connect to this guy. And he feels like, Oh, I'm finally connecting. You can kind of get the sense mm-hmm. that he's like, I think I can drop some walls. I could really just be, this quiet old man. Yeah. With and this he has, other. <laughs> they have like a shared interest where he likes the outdoors and survival. He's reading the survival book. Here's a guy that does it constantly. He lives yeah. in a cabin in Alaska and goes hunting. And so they have similar interests. And then, yeah, when they sit down and actually like he gets asked about this investment opportunity, this, this old guy springs an investment opportunity on him, sit, just like trying to get, millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars out of him and uh, he's like oh i thought we were just being nice to each other i didn't know you wanted something and he just walks away which i love that he just walks away yeah but oh my god when you watch this movie and the old man drops the like hey i want to build i have this whole idea for this like getaway resort i just need you to invest in it the moment he drops that, even you as the viewer, you feel such a heavy disappointment and such yeah. a like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you watch, this is a scene I was alluding to earlier of like, you watch Hopkins in this scene and everything he does with his face, his body language, the way he plays, such betrayal. I yeah. almost, almost feel like he's more hurt with this betrayal than the one about his wife like that one he almost expects this one this one felt like it just hit a little deeper 
Yeah. Because it's the first time he's really trying to make blue. a connection. It's like a, a bomb gets dropped on him just out of the blue. It, yeah. Oh, my God. I feel like if there was one scene where you just feel so bad for Charles, it's this scene. Because you're like this poor fucking old dude yeah. who just wants a friend, like an actual <laughs> friend. Yeah. Can't even get that in the north woods of Alaska, like in a remote spot. Right. <laughs> oh man, watch it. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. It's such a. It's the. I think friendship and relationship is a whole big thing about this movie. Where he wants that relationship, he's looking for it in this older guy. He's, he looks for it in his wife, obviously, and he kind of expects it he's in love with his wife but he i think is noticing the hints along the way that there may be something off there um even though he has these these issues with robert and he he still wants relationship or friendship with him or is at least benefiting from the little bit he can get out of him um and it's such a it's such an interesting story i think because he he knows exactly he knows exactly what everybody's motivations are like he he but he still hopes against what they could be like even at the very worst of them when they are trying to kill him for example he still (laughs) hopes he still chooses to not like let them die he still chooses to like try to be their friend and so i think his it's not a weakness but it is it is a a part of him that is unfulfilled i guess is that relationship that he wants a friendship he wants something real and there's interesting points or hints i guess at that at the beginning right after um the one we were talking about with the old guy that's when they have i think the party for him and they they give him a little surprise party and it's kind of sweet that they they acknowledge him in that way and give him some gifts and one of the ones is robert gives him a knife and then uh the old guy the the trapper guy i don't even remember his name but he tells him you have to give him a coin because he gave you a knife and i was like and i'd never heard of this tradition but apparently it's a long-standing tradition that it's bad luck to give someone a knife because you're essentially giving away your power and that knife severs the bond between the giver and the receiver like that friendship is kind of broken by that knife but if you give the person giving you that knife a coin you're essentially buying it from them it's not a it's not a free gift it's something that you have paid for so that stops the the cutting of the relationship or whatever and they're not giving I away had their never, power for free. Yeah, I had never heard of that uh, kind of tradition either. Uh, I didn't deep dive into it. My, The way I, I guess, perceived it or whatever was just like, there are so many superstitions, old, timely yeah. traditions that we don't practice these days because mm-hmm. we live in a time where like traditions are like dumb, <laughs> which is like as dumb as you can get if you reject your traditions you're really fucking up your future but that's just yeah me. but <laughs> it's, it's shocking to me how many traditions 
are actually valuable and and then as soon as you reject them and stop doing them then you'll have to learn the hard way oh maybe that's why that was a good idea when you kill a tradition there's always consequences whether and i've noticed this like in my personal life i've noticed it with people around me and just society in general when Mm -hmm. you start killing off traditions because you think they don't matter anymore Mm-hmm. There are like actual consequences that follow. It's kind of crazy. And that's not superstition. This is like, we get to watch it every day outside our windows. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not going on a rant, folks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, traditions are important. And this kind of tradition you feel is super old. Mm-hmm. And especially in a remote place like Alaska, which... Alaska could end up being the most populated state in the whole world. Yeah. And I think most, I think anyone outside of Alaska would still view that place as remote. And like, it's the final frontier still. Yeah. I think Alaska is always going to hold on to that. Um, So when, when you're in that setting and you hear this old tradition, my brain immediately is just like, Oh, that is, Mm-hmm. that is old school like this this isn't just you know a few years ago this must be in like old west gold rush even predating that possibly days uh, yeah yeah so I, that was how i took it and i just didn't deep dive on it i kind of wish i did but yeah i do I like that people, because I, that scene does feel important i think most people Sorry. take it as just another example of a bunch of examples at the beginning where he he knows a lot of old things he knows old traditions old old tricks and tips that people used to do to to survive or just accomplish things he's a wealth of information and uh and and that on its surface even is just beneficial if you don't pick up the underlying themes of the relationship stuff (laughs) it's true it's true well and even like when he gives him the knife and, and you hear the tradition the whole coin thing like even then you feel tension and they purposely want you to feel tension. Like it's yeah. not a super hidden thing. You just immediately like, mm, this, this feels like it could either blow up in both their faces or it's going to blow up in one of theirs. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it does. Um, <laughs> again with that foreshadowing, right? Uh, it's almost like it's a pivotal, uh, storytelling. Yeah. Tool. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> foreshadowing is a big deal, especially in this movie. It's kind of important. <laughs> um, but after that, the main thing that gets us into the wilderness is is kind of random. It's not the most like obvious thing that they would fly up there, but they're doing the photo shoot for Elle McPherson or Mickey, and uh, and they want like the the indian guy the guy that is super traditional super obviously stoic and and um just visually interesting to be in their photos with them to be a model basically and so they try to figure out where he is and the main guy says he's up hunting somewhere way off the grid and so they decide to fly up there and robert invites charles to come along it'll be an adventure it'll be so great and uh and it seems to be like it'll just be like a 30 minute flight but ends up being weeks of their lives (laughs) but you know you fly into a a herd of seagulls flying around and uh yeah it kind of turns out bad when you're in like this tiny little prop plane so (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> yeah. And so it's, but, but it, if you're going to be stranded in the wilderness with anybody, that Charles is the best Charles person. Is the, Charles is the dude. He did yeah. like, and he immediately goes into like the survival mode. You, he immediately mm-hmm. falls into, uh, kind of retracing everything he learned from that survival guide from whatever else, uh, whatever other pieces of information he's absorbed and learned through his years. Yeah. Uh, he immediately jumps into that. That was, I really, that was like the most obvious thing to me or the most interesting thing to me is that when they are playing crashes, Robert tries to escape. He saves himself. He just like gets out of the plane. Charles pulls out the knife that he had just gotten as a gift. He saves Steven. He cuts off his seatbelt. He grabs a bag full of flares and stuff. Like he's thinking constantly. And so that is, that's what saves him. And that's what he tells everybody later on is that you need to be thinking. If you stop thinking, yeah. that's the one thing that could save you. And so he is not only thinking, but he's also selfless. He saves Stephen instead of saving himself, which is good, which is nice. Um, and so, and so that's really cool, but yeah, they get out of the, of the water and then onto the land and they are like, we're stuck in the middle of nowhere. All we need to do is sit here and wait and they'll come find us. And then you realize um, that Robert had taken the the sign off the door of that said they, they were flying up to find a guy at this one lake because he had left a sign a note saying that he was up at that lake. And Robert had taken the note so that the whoever goes to that guy's cabin won't know what direction they went. They'll be looking in the yeah. wrong place, basically. And, and that's one of like a several examples that you kind of get where Robert is the opposite of Charles. He's not thinking he's actively doing things that are thoughtless where he's like, he just thought that thing was cool probably and took it. Didn't think it would matter. Now it is going to probably kill them because no one's going to be looking (laughs) for him. And then he does the same thing when they get out of the water, they're cold, they're shivering, they're freezing. Um, and Charles is like, let's get a fire. We can build it by hand. I know all these tricks. It'll be work. It'll take hard work to make fire out of sticks, but we can do it and we can save the flares for signaling later. And Robert's like, no, fuck it. I'm going to just use a flare right now and make a fire. I'll be warm sooner, but I'm going to risk being rescued later. Like he's just short sighted and thoughtless. And that's just he's very short sighted. And throughout a- the whole course of the film, he's short sighted. Yeah. It's crazy. He like, I mean, he, he has character development, but not in the way that makes him redeemable. Right. Like his character development is really just exposing his insecurities, exposing his true motivations. Mm -hmm. And and it's like, I I like that character development, especially for him, because I like it when they don't have to try to make you feel bad for the, quote-unquote villain of the film right where they're just letting you understand like oh this guy even at his core isn't a good dude he probably never has been a good dude yeah. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> but yeah him wasting the flare that's one of those moments for anyone that's watched any movie ever when he's <laughs> like yeah fuck it we're using the flare you're like oh man that's yeah that's gonna <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like running upstairs when there's a killer on the first floor. <laughs> it's like, Don't do it. It's like 
going for a fourth and long in football when you're in your own territory. Like, you just don't do it. That's just going to bite you in the ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It might seem like a good idea right now, but it's not going to work out for you. <laughs> but it's just, that's, the outcome's not good. There's like, I mean, obviously there's always that one in a million chance that it works out, but yeah, those odds aren't the kind of odds a betting man would take. So, <laughs> right, right. So can we just real quick, because we're about to meet the bear. Like the bear shows up pretty quick after they crash. Yeah. They have their their moment on the when they get out of the water, they make their fire and they try to stay warm and they're traveling. And uh, well, I guess before we get to the bear, Charles teaches them how to make a, a compass with like a needle and a leaf and a little puddle of water. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a real tactic, uh, but these days, now I'm I'm no good with directions. Mm-hmm. I think anyone from our home state is actually pretty terrible with directions yeah. because well, because we, we any we we get lazy about it and we're like, oh, the <laughs> mountains are always west, and then as soon as you're in a place where they're not, it sucks. It, it does. Uh, I've lived in Texas for a year now, and guess what? I have no clue what directions <laughs> any fucking thing is around yeah. me. Uh, and I still find myself like, well, where are the mountains? Nope, they're they're not there. They're, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I would need this remedy, or not mm-hmm. remedy, I would need this this little tool of being able to make a a compass in the wild. So it's nice that this movie teaches us that, because yeah. what he does is an actual, like, Boy Scout style compass so props on the movie for doing that yeah the um, only like so you're right the, the everything that it does or he tries to one major piece of uh foreshadow is he tries to do the thing where you take a, a analog watch and you put and you hold the sun at a certain angle and then halfway between this time mm-hmm. is the actual direction you need to go he tries to do that and he asks uh, Robert for his watch and Robert's like oh no sorry you can't have it it's broken uh, please don't look at it and that comes back later that's a big deal but yeah then he does the compass thing and the compass thing uh, totally works for a while they walk for a long time and then end up right back at the fire that they just had so they go in a circle <laughs> and you're like yeah. oh that sucks and he does point out that oh maybe my belt buckle is throwing off the magnetism of the thing and that is also a real thing you it, you shouldn't hold the compass right next to your waistline if you have a belt that's uh, uh i think brass is okay but steel is not or something like that it throws off the magnetism but my belt would not work my, the my one belt. thing that they don't do which is a little bit frustrating if you know anything about trying to survive in the woods is just use the sun it's daytime the sun <laughs> always sets in one direction and rises in the other direction so anytime it's daytime you know where to go and they never talk about that so maybe it's not no they don't interesting in a movie but it is a little bit silly yeah it's but i almost feel like that's purposeful yeah like i'm gonna try and give the writers some credit uh, because if they just did that, that's almost like figuring it out too easy or like not having enough mm. going against them. You have to have like pushback 
it can't work yeah. out that great. Come on. And now. I think it, it does <laughs> subtly I, that scene when they make the compass and, and Robert's like, but what if that's not South? And Charles is like, it is South. It has no choice, but to be South, that's just how it works. And Robert's like, but it doesn't feel South. Like he is trusting his emotions <laughs> more than his logic. And that's his whole yeah. thing where Charles is like, it. he's very logical, he's very factual, he's very knowledgeable. And Robert is very emotional and, and just not logical. And so he's focused on that. He's like, it doesn't feel like that's right. And I, uh, I hate that line so much for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Robert or Bob, uh, <laughs> he operates solely off of like his emotions. He he's not analytical at all. He's very impulsive. Yeah. Whereas Charles is very analytical. But him going, that just doesn't feel South. I hate that so much. <laughs> One, and, and well, not in any particular order, but he points at a mountain mm. and he's like, that just doesn't, no, no. And immediately my brain's like, why are you pointing at a mountain just because it goes up? Does it make it like, <laughs> like just stop it? <laughs> but I'm like, what a dumb thing to just say out loud. Why yeah. would you be compelled to be like, you know, that just doesn't feel like, and then I think, oh no. <laughs> Bob is like the world these days. Where yeah. It's like we don't look at anything person. analytically. There's no logistics. We just simply go impulsively, emotionally. Ironically, I'm doing that now. Yeah. I get it, folks. You don't got to point it out. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just like, God damn it. Are we all a little bit of Bob? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and even to the point where, so jumping ahead a little bit, they're walking, they see the bear, like you said, the bear shows up and kind of chases them, they run away, and we'll get back to that first part. But at after that, they uh, Stephen is chopping wood and he cuts his leg, and so they have to like bandage him up, and and Charles tells him take these bandages and bury them. And he's like, okay. And he runs off and then returns. And you find out immediately he didn't bury him. He threw them up in a tree because he doesn't give a fuck. He'll do whatever he wants. And he doesn't want to be told what to do. And, uh, and, and it, it turns out bad. There's draws the bear. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out Charles had a reason, a good reason for telling him to do that. Right. They just didn't, Bob. just didn't want to be told what to do, I guess, which I get, but still. <laughs> but like to a point <laughs> yeah especially when you are very obviously relying on this man to get you out of the wilderness like to save right you. when when he's the smartest and most rational out of the three yeah. maybe listen to the guy i mean yeah. I, I probably wouldn't hurt as much and you probably would find yourself in a way better situation than you do mm -hmm. yep <laughs> yeah. way to fuck it up bob way yeah. to fuck it up but going to the going back to the scene where they first run from the bear uh it's it's a very exciting scene the action is really interesting in this movie and they're they're running from the bear and they have to like lift up this log to get across a river mm -hmm. and and that whole sequence is really exciting especially when 
uh, Charles is trying to walk across the log and he has the flares in the bag and he falls off and is like dangling by the bag strap and uh, and the the log itself like falls and he almost falls in the water. That whole sequence is very exciting. But I mostly love after that as they're hiking and and Charles is kind of upset because he lost the flares mm. and he's like he starts thinking about what he could have done differently and what like he shouldn't have lost it. That sucks. It's not going to get him saved. And he starts going down the path that he warned about specifically that if you focus on that and you'd stop thinking about what to do next, you'll sit down and you'll just die in the woods of shame. And even though he knows all of this, he's still susceptible to it. And that's one of my favorite things is that he's still a person. He's not like some robot that, that (laughs) knows what to do and always does it right. He's just a person. Yeah. Oh, so before we we gloss over that, I mean, you just brought it up, but like Steven ends up being the one to kind of initiate that whole conversation of like dying in the woods. And Mm -hmm. Charles tells him like, you know, whatever, what like people typically do die of in the woods. And he tells him shame. And he's like, what do you mean? And he tells them everything you just said of like, they start thinking, you know, Mm-hmm. what I could have done better, what I should have done differently, yada, yada. And they do sit down and just give up. Uh, and it leaves you like, it, it's one of those lines where he says it. And then there's that quick blip of just quiet between the three of them. Yeah. And then it moves on with the scene. And I love that, that quiet. Yeah. Cause not only are they like, well, Steven's soaking it in. Mm-hmm. Bob is just kind of scoffing it off. Yeah. But you as a viewer are really thinking like it, it's supposed to put you into at least the way I view it, put you into this thought process of have I already just sat down? Mm-hmm. Am I just like, what should I have done? Why didn't I do this? And by our nature, I think we all do that probably yeah. daily and constantly throughout the day of <laughs> like, well, shit, I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? We do those like fantasies of an alternate version of if I had done the A, B and C, then I yeah. would have been like at this point, I think we all fall into that, but I love that quiet. Cause it definitely does that to me of making me like, Oh shit. And we talked about that <laughs> earlier at the start Yeah, of like, okay, am I, have I sat down? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those <laughs> things that definitely applies <laughs> even outside of the woods that just in normal life, you can get too focused on the past that you stop yeah. moving forward or, or making good decisions going forward. Um, so I totally agree with you there. And, and you know, it's, I would actually say that the edge is not like a super metaphorical film. It's yeah. pretty straightforward. Uh, it just focuses on like human nature versus everything around us. Um, especially nature and yeah. the wilderness. But that the whole idea of like people dying of shame to me, that's probably really the biggest metaphorical scene in the whole film. The rest of it really is survival based mm-hmm. and thinking logically moving forward with what you actually need to do. Um, but yeah, so that that's like the one big metaphor for me in that yeah. film is like outside of the woods. That's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Um, so when, when the bear shows up and he actually does 
Robert failed to throw the bandages into the tree. It drew the bear into their camp and it ravages Stephen. Uh, poor Stephen. <laughs> he, he, his poor guy is bleeding from his leg and now is just picked up and shaken about by Bart the bear. And uh, it, it's just, it's so, it's like the Revenant, like way before the Revenant was a thing that it, he just gets completely savaged. And so the yeah. two remaining men have to just like run off because there's nothing you can do at that point. So right there, I just want to take a quick second and pause. Bart mm. the bear. Yeah. Our generation, anyone watching movies in like from 84 or whatever on up until uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. We grew up watching movies with Bart the Bear. Like, we knew who Bart the Bear was. You saw anything with a bear on screen that wasn't, like, Jack Hanna's Wilderness or whatever the hell. (laughs) It was like, oh, it's Bart the Bear. We knew who Bart the Bear was. We got excited to watch Bart the Bear. I was crazy. I was looking it up, and I was like, I know I've seen him in a bunch. The dude was in Homeward Bound, Homeward Bound 2, 12 Monkeys, White Fang, The Great Outdoors. Mm-hmm. And a movie that I was like, how have Jake and I not ever mentioned this movie? I uh-huh. was blown away that neither of us have brought it up. I know I was obsessed with it as a kid and I still love it. The Bear. I've never seen The Bear. I don't Did know you what you're talking s- about. You've never seen The Bear? No. Jake. <laughs> oh it's like God. an old live action Disney movie. What's The Bear about? No, it's not Disney at all. No. The movie is about a bear cub who's okay. who becomes orphaned and is kind of adopted by this male bear. And there's also these two poachers kind of trying to hunt him down and find him. Mm. Like, not a lot of dialogue. It is all nature-based. Mm-hmm. It's got one super weird scene where the bear eats mushrooms and goes on a bad trip. That's okay. <laughs> but the rest of the babies. movie, like, dude, the bear is amazing. And I was like, I, now I'm even more blown away that you of all people have never watched the bear. There's five Jake. people in the cast and two of them are bears. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, Jake. That's awesome. I will have to watch this. Please it's, watch the bear. It seems like one of the things I would have been super into as a kid. Like I watched Milo and Otis. Oh I watched all these Homeward Bound. I watched all these animal movies, PGM so, well, movies from the 80s and 90s. And what sets this one apart, like the animals, they don't talk. There's yeah. no spoken dialogue. It is all like you are watching this bear cub okay. be an orphan. Like and trying to make it on its own in the wilderness. It's Oh my god, this movie's so good. It's Jake, like Bambi with bears. Oh, but so much better than Bambi. And so much like... Better than Bambi? More relevant and just a better story. And oh my god, Jake, please watch the bear. Okay. Oh my god. I'll do that right away. Oh wow, it is, it's rated higher than Bambi. Granted, it came out 46 Dude. years later, but still. No, like, it's... Oh, my God, I can't believe you've never seen The Bear. Anyone else seen The Bear? Please tell me there's people out there that have watched The Bear. Apparently Dustin loves The Bear. It's his favorite Dude, I love The Bear. I love The Bear so much. And there's one scene that I just... I get so happy. It's so short, too. Like, it's a Mm -hmm. super fast scene. But I love 
the shit out of that this one scene. I'll tell you about it after you watch it because you're okay. probably gonna when you see it, you're probably gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that's a good scene." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you haven't seen the bear. Anyways, Bart the bear. Yeah, legendary. he only did a handful of movies, but he's legendary. The and most he did famous bear actor of all so, time. Seriously, they he did a few documentaries where he was like the focus of it and all that, but. Bart I think Bear, he, so. he worked with Anthony Hopkins before on Legends of the Fall. Yes, yeah. Um, I just uh, I had to give a shout out to to Bart the Bear. Yeah, he's a cool, cool. He cat. was a big part of like our childhood, our generation's childhood. We, whether you realized it or not, you probably saw him in. Yeah, well, if you watched Homeward Bound movies, you saw him. Right, right, <laughs> absolutely. So I just, I was like, oh my God, it's Bart the bear. We have to say hi to Bart the bear. Well, not hi, but like a, a, yeah. a give a nod to him. Yeah. Give him awesome. the respect he deserves because he's the best. Was the best is the best. Yes. Never be replaced. Yes, They're going to use CGI bears from uh, now on. So yeah, he's probably never going to be. Other, like... Right. And, and there's like, I mean, besides lassie who was several different dogs actually so yeah. that one doesn't even fully count uh bart the bear was like the big animal actor so mm -hmm. there it is hi bart <laughs> we miss you bart <laughs> yeah uh, i see bart so yeah bart mauls steven to death that's a good transition from a heartfelt <laughs> oh bart the bear Way to kill Steven in like your second to last film ever. Uh <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, the mauling uh, is, yeah, is and, quite brutal, and, and it was mostly because Bart is so huge and uh and they there's nothing they can do to stop him. Like obviously he's gonna do what he's gonna do. This is just what nature is. Mm -hmm. And if he wants to eat a man who's bleeding, he's gonna eat a man that's bleeding. And so they have to run off. Well, and, and that's, that's the main thing. Yeah, they got to run for survival. And it's also one of those movies, though, where they mention, like, I mean, Charles calls him a man eater because mm -hmm. uh, he is. But, like, this is a thing I remember growing up hearing about with wild animals. You hear about it even with, like, I think it was more paranoia with more domestic style animals. But mm -hmm. when animals get a taste for, like, human blood they get labeled as hey they're probably going to be going for this more often because it's not something that's like on their menu yeah every day yeah uh, but this was like a thing like you heard throughout time throughout growing up of like animals getting a taste for human blood it, it kind of set them on like i don't want to say a frenzy but there was this yeah. whole thought or belief that if they tasted human blood that was what they were going to hunt and they were yeah. going to continue to hunt for it. So it kind of adds like this fear and I, I should have deep dived on, is this like a true thing? I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure it is because even when like there's an attack at a zoo or a sanctuary, like yeah, there's a big, uh Oh, we got to get this animal isolated out of here. Yeah. Probably going to put it down. Yeah. It's not like a, like a, oops a daisy one time thing it seems to be that that they'll change and especially out in the wild they'll change their whole patterns of of hunting mm -hmm. and migrating and things just to be more around people um and so yeah it seems like it's believable at least in this context of the story to me that yeah. he would stalk the and follow these these guys to try to like 
catch up to them and kill them and eat them. He is a man eater. And so it works. It's kind of like jaws on land in a way. <laughs> right. Which, so one of the, the reviews from back in the day when it came out was it's jaws with sharks or jaws with bears. Yeah. I always kind of laugh at that because I'm like, yeah, the bear is a, a, a pretty decent chunk of the story. Yeah. But it's not like, about but I never that. really, f- it's not about the bear. Yeah. <laughs> the bear just happens to be like this exaggerated extra, uh, challenge. Right. The, the next obstacle of survival, because right. if we were all trapped in survival, you're going to encounter predators yeah. that are territorial, that are used to being unero or numero number one, you know, like, yeah. and now you're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The bear is a visual representation of, of something that is scary that will kill you. It's one of a million things. It's not that interesting to see people <laughs> die of dehydration or starvation or whatever that will mm-hmm. kill them just as much. But the bear is a, is a, is a natural scary thing that's that's stalking them to kill them like dehydration and hypothermia <laughs> and all these other things that are trying to kill them in the, in the woods and bart the bear was terrifying that bear is so fucking big yeah he's so big he's massive he's so especially big. at that the fight at the end i'm like i can't believe how big you are and how close you they get like they're toe to toe with this bear with these little sticks and he just bats them away and i'm like i he he would demolish you like immediately if he wanted to <laughs> that's just i would I, there's nothing you can do to stop like, him yeah I don't think I would ever want to die by being mauled or eaten by a wild animal, yeah, bear, mountain lion, shark, what the fuck ever. Yeah. That's got to be just one of the worst <laughs> ways to go. Yeah, it's true. I'd, Especially I'd if rather... it's the kind of predator that will like start to eat you while you're alive. Right. So like you're going to feel it up until you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's very true. Nature is a harsh, <laughs> harsh mistress, that's for sure. Nature's a bitch. <laughs> Nature is a bitch. <laughs> um, so after they run away from Stephen, though, they have the they hear a helicopter. They're just like kind of walking or running or whatever. And they hear a helicopter or a plane or something, and they try to run out and find it, and they they fail. They don't actually end up signaling it, but the conversation in that field is one of my favorites in the whole uh, movie where they came so close to being rescued and Robert is like starting to freak out and be like, we're never going to be rescued. And, and Charles is trying to like keep his mind right. Like not get sucked into that shame, not get sucked into um, regret or whatever. And so he tries to distract him and he's like, how do you make fire from ice? And he's like, stop asking me your stupid questions. I don't care about your stupid trivia. And then he starts like actually attacking him. He's talking about like how he's like rich and he's wealthy. And I can't believe like we put, let you be in charge of the country. All of you people, like you rich people. And uh, he's like, well, maybe it's a good thing we did because you're so dense that we actually uh, allow this to happen or whatever. And, and it, he's like, and Charles is, keeping a straight face the whole time he's like not letting him hurt his feelings even though he's saying 
mean things about him. Um, yeah. But he's like, just trying to like get him back. Like, how do you make fire from ice? And we're going to get through this. Don't give up kind of thing. And, and their whole like conversation and Alec Baldwin's performance in that scene where he's like, he's distraught. He's very upset. He's mm -hmm. like breaking down. He's crying. He's giving up basically on this whole process of surviving. And so that scene always stands out to me. It's a beautiful scene in a metal. Like if you were there not surviving, it's incredible. But it's right. the most Super pretty. <laughs> most depressing thing ever if you just missed your plane. Yeah, I I really appreciate uh Charles in that scene. Like the whole scene, I agree with you. It, it's a great scene. I love uh Robert's huge breakdown and his his word vomiting all over the place. Mm -hmm. But I really love how Charles kind of has the understanding of like, I need to let him get everything out some of it he's probably being very open and honest about he probably does think i'm a piece of shit yeah uh but a lot of this is just when we as a species lose our shit mm -hmm. we tend to say stuff that we don't actually mean we tend to like go into these huge emotional rants that really don't pertain to yeah. the situation at hand you know bob freaks out about how could we let rich people run the country yada yada mm -hmm. what does that have to do with your ass being stuck in the wilderness but you get it because you're like you're just everything's yeah. coming out right yeah and you and need, I like that charles just we, we do that constantly where we need someone to blame and yeah. that that rich asshole who i don't know anything about uh it's his <laughs> fault it's his fault i'm poor it's his fault i'm stuck in the woods uh it doesn't matter yeah even though the whole reason they're stuck in the wilderness was because Bob was an idiot. So yeah. <laughs> like it takes some accountability, man. Right. But I love that Charles just lets him get this all out, stays very calm and still just kind of like, so how do you think you do it? How do you make fire from ice? And like, I love that he just let, as soon as Robert like finishes vomiting, mm -hmm. he has that quick little chuckle and just kind of where he takes a breath and he goes, okay how do you do it <laughs> fine tell <laughs> like, me but you feel that like as a person you feel that moment because i think we all get to that point where like we've we've said too much we've said too much that we don't actually mean or is yeah. even relevant and then we have that moment of like okay mm -hmm. i'm lightheaded i'm emotional but i'm drained and you just latch onto the like okay what's yeah. what's simple and making fire from ice. Like when Charles tells him how to do it immediately in my head, I'm like, of course. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it's not as quick and as simple as Charles makes it seem. I imagine there's a lot of trial and error before success, yeah. but as comes with all of this, but when he says it and Charles just kind of like, matter-of-factly states it and then is ready to move on with the rest you know hey we got to move from the spot because mm -hmm. they're being tracked and they have to continue moving because you can't just give up i just i love how it's just so like yeah you just you mold it in your hand sunlight mm -hmm. and then yeah fire i'm like god damn it and then they move <laughs> on i'm like okay that's that's kind of i i say this a lot recently and i don't know if it's just 
current mindset or whatever it probably is. But I'm finding all these characters in these movies that I've watched hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. And now they're all coming out into the forefront for me as like, I need you in my life. I need you in my (laughs) life. I need someone like you. And Charles in this scene is one of those people where you're like, I need that person Mm -hmm. that's able to just stay grounded. Yeah. When I lose it. Right. Like you need that grounded person of just like, yeah. All right. Let's move. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who can let you freak out and not take it personally and still with, they have a bigger vision than you do. They know that you're going to get to the other side of this situation or the other side of this freak out or tantrum or whatever it is. And it's going to be okay. And then they'll be fine. They'll move on from it. They won't just dwell on, Oh, you said that I hated Jews and taxes. So I'm never going to be your friend again. <laughs> like and if, if they like unravel with you, that's only going to make it worse, but they're instead right. lifting you out of it, which is really, really good. Yeah. So I just rewatching this movie again. I'm like, God, Charles is so, I love this character and I love Hopkins as this character so much. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then they move on from the field. It's time to pick your ass up and we're moving on, which is yeah. kind of a funny thing to me of like, we, I think we're the last generation that grew up in the mentality of like, who cares? If, like, yeah, you got hurt. Right. You got to keep moving. Like, right. <laughs> it's a scratch. You're all right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which is such an important lesson is that are you... Are you actually dying or can you continue moving? Like, it, I know this yeah. sucks, but it's not going to get better just sitting here. So you got to like actually do things to move your life forward. And that, that's really important. Uh, the, other, yeah. it, the other important thing about that scene, I think, is there have been hints throughout the movie that Robert is jealous of Charles' life or his wife or his wealth or whatever. And... I think Robert does a good job for the first half of the movie where he kind of plays it off. He's like, but right before they have the plane crash, Charles asks him, he's like, are you going to kill me? Are you trying to steal my wife or whatever? And so they have a whole conversations along the way where he's like, no, I'm not going to kill you. Like we're like, I'm friends with you. Uh, It'd be crazy for me to kill you. You're the one who's saving me in the forest. Like you start to believe that they are forming a bond, that they're being friends or whatever. But when they has this freak out in the field, you're like, you kind of do, maybe. At least I'm starting to wonder, <laughs> uh, do you actually think these things about him? Could you bump him off and steal his wife because you think he's just a rich like piece of shit? Yeah, it, it's his freak out as uh, relatable as just the principle of that freak out is. Yeah. Uh, it very much brings out into the open no longer really subtleties of his insecurity, but it it just, he word vomits all these insecurities, his lashing out at him. Yeah. You as a viewer, you're like, did you invite him to kill him? Mm -hmm. Like, is this what your plan actually is? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and if you're in a situation to do it, are you actually going to try? Right. And and we'll get to, (laughs) we'll get to that in a little while. Yeah. (laughs) yeah but the from there they just do a bunch of like hiking and climbing and stuff um they one of the small interesting things is uh they fish for some fish obviously what else are you gonna fish for fish for fish (laughs) 
they they do some fishing and uh he uses his watch to like as the lure he's like this is it's gold it's the mo- the thing the world longs for and yeah. uh and they end up like trying to they're looking trying to get fish out of the stream and then wouldn't you know it the bear shows up uh obviously and so they have to run from the bear again but the bear like he's a smart ass bear where he blocks them from getting food. They're kind of stuck in this spot where they can't, they can't leave and continue hiking. They can't get any food. So they're just going to die there. So they decide to fight back. They decide to uh, form a plan to actually attack the bear or hunt the bear. Um, And they are going to use these spears and, and traps and things. Uh, And that whole sequence is interesting and exciting, but yeah, we kind of talked about when they're in the river and they're like toe to toe with that bear. It's it's insane how massive he is and how <laughs> how useless their little toothpicks are basically. But when he like rears up and falls on the spear, um, that's like if that didn't work and you are suddenly under that bear and like that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a last ditch effort to actually but- just try to survive. It's another great way of uh, Charles kind of showing like this full understanding of the bear obviously isn't going anywhere anytime soon. In fact, he's right here with us. Like mm. we're probably going to die the next night. Like when we try to go to sleep, that's mm. probably when the bear is coming for us. He's just waiting us out, exhausting us because the bear just seems to chase them yeah. without actually attacking them, which in like boxing or UFC kind of stuff, like yeah. wearing your opponent out yeah. is a tactic. Letting them over uh, exert their energy is mm-hmm. a tactic. And the bear's got them running through water, yeah, freezing cold water. He's exhausting <laughs> them. And Charles, you, you get that sense of like, Charles understands the bear is smart and yeah. it has played its cards correctly. Right. And when he shows up, we're reacting emotionally. We're running away. We're doing all this stuff and stuff, trying to like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a bear. So growing up in like Colorado, we part of schooling was how to survive if you encounter certain animals, because mm-hmm. we encountered certain animals <laughs> in that state and learning about bears was a thing. And I remember everyone being like, you can't really outrun a bear. Yeah. If you run downhill, turns out they can run downhill. Or yeah. they'll just slide. Uh, yeah. You can't climb a tree because bears are like master tree climbers. You can't right. run up the hill because the bear can also run up the hill. And the yeah. bear's got the claws to help it kind of go. They run faster uphill <laughs> than downhill because their front legs are shorter than their back legs. So downhill they go a little <laughs> slower, but they'll still fucking catch you. Yeah. And, and so like it really boiled down to we learned if you encounter a bear that wants to attack you, you either try to make yourself look bigger and like, ah, or mm-hmm. you curl up in a ball, play dead and just pray. Yeah. <laughs> I've always Detect felt like neck. that seems very, yeah. I've <laughs> always been like, that seems like a bad idea, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, when so, it's but all the, you've got, I guess. Charles and Bob are not doing any of this. They're just running. And, uh, I like that Charles kind of gets that understanding of like, we actually have to defend ourselves, kind of go on the offensive now. Yeah. Otherwise the bear is killing us. Like there's no choice. Yeah. We either do this 
or we die. And the the <laughs> and Bob is like, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bob doesn't believe that they can. That's kind of one of the interesting things as well, where he's like, this is stupid. We can't possibly do it. And Charles is like, no, these kids do it in these other like countries or tribes. Um, like they eleven year olds hunting lions. Yeah, like <laughs> and like and people have done it throughout time. They have killed bears and survived. And so he says, what one man can do, another can do. And so we are we are men. We are no different than anybody else. So we are capable of doing it if we are smart, if we believe, if we think, then we can definitely do it. And and I think that that's tell. I think it's telling that he believes that because he is a successful businessman he is a billionaire he has achieved what other people have achieved he's seen people with great success and he has achieved great success so he kind of believes it i think robert doesn't because he sees people like charles who are billionaires and he has never achieved that status he, he's never done it so he doesn't really believe it's possible um yeah and so he has a lot of resentment for the that kind of successful person yeah and so I think it, it's 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 a mind that mindset thing a lot I think where he you if you look what you perceive around you forms who you are and Charles perceives all of these people being successful he has done things to make himself successful and so now at this point in his life when he's faced with this very serious situation he believes that he can do it just because someone else in history has done it and that's all it really takes. And I think that's such an interesting thing. But you're totally right about yeah. um, like just so, like Colorado and like just animals and nature and stuff. Um, and that's one of the things that is that I like about this movie is their their defeat of the bear is such an exciting thing and it's such a fulfilling thing that mm -hmm. I, I think that even though we're so removed from it in modern culture and we don't end up having to like hunt and fight and kill wild animals in order to survive generally. But the, I remember a, a news story from like a year or two ago where this guy was running through just a trail in Colorado and he was attacked by a mountain lion and he fought it off with his bare hands. And yeah. everybody I talked to at work, friends, they were like, that guy is so cool. Like, I wish I could do that. <laughs> I wish I could have that story to tell to say that I fought off a mountain lion with my bare hands. And just like this movie, I wish I could fight a bear and have him fall on me and live. That is such a cool story to have. I think that's just such like a carnal ancestral connection to earth thing. Oh, something, you know, that guy had to have gone super primal. Uh, it, it wasn't just like, Oh, I went to flight or flight or fight or flight mode. It was fight mode. Like, you know, there's something primal like you said ancestral like something very deep in you came out to be able to if i got attacked by a mountain lion <laughs> i'd be fucking dead yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i couldn't run 100 meters <laughs> and uh, let alone fight it off but i'd like but, to yeah, imagine you, you like always but robert has that line though of like i've always my whole life i've wanted to do something that was uh Oh, how does he say it? Um, oh, my God. Like, insurmountable or something like that. Yeah. Like, that is the crowning achievement story. The one thing he did that no one else is going to be able to actually claim to do. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I like that he says, like, if I just wanted to do that, and Bob's like, I think this counts as that moment. And you're <laughs> like, yep, it does. Yeah. But yeah, I think we all want to be able to have that kind of really cool story, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's fighting off a mountain lion with our bare hands. And yes, folks, that actually happened. Go look it up. It was like, I want to say it was in 2020. I, I want to say it was like the summer of 2020. Yeah. And uh, that did actually happen. Um, not too far away from where. Yeah. Well, like you guys live or and where I used to, like it was pretty close to home. Yeah. I was local uh, for that's sure. Part of, that's part of Northern Colorado folks. So yeah. Like, yeah. There's <laughs> mountain lions. There's bears that wander into town. It shit happens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I want that kind of story. Maybe not that exact. I fought off a wild predator <laughs> that was actively trying to slaughter and eat me. Yeah. Uh, kind of story. Cause I won't survive the predator trying to slaughter and eat me. I will be dead and right. a meal. I don't want that. But yeah. having that kind of cool story or that moment in life where you're like, I did that. That was me. You know, that kind of like, that one moment where I think we all strive for to be actually genuinely proud of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I strive for. I think people generally want. Yeah. Or maybe like you, Jake, you actually do just want to go fisticuffs with the fucking bear <laughs> or a mountain lion. I, uh... <laughs> I sure do. That would be so cool. Like I understand God the risk. But it would if the risk versus reward is almost enough that it would be worth it. Like that, <laughs> I, I can so almost, cool. I can almost picture Christy in my mind just shaking her head and being like, "This fucking guy." Yeah. <laughs> and I, I get when they do defeat the bear, they take a trophy from it. He like makes those necklaces out of the claws, and I'm like, absolutely, Dude, I would take the claw. Hell yeah, yeah, I would want that claw. It is a huge reminder That's- of that experience and that defeat over death it's so cool but so that scene always reminds me of uh also a super old kind of tribal tradition that i learned about from watching the movie the ghost in the darkness obviously two different continents but yeah uh the idea of having that trophy i survived this so this is my reward like it's almost like nature is okay with you having this reward yeah taking the claw hell yeah i would want that trophy and i would actually not feel guilty about it because i would be in that mindset of like nature pits us against so many obstacles and challenges if you survive it you should have something to show for it like yeah. you almost feel nature wants you to have something to show for it right and having a claw Dude, that'd be so badass. But again, <laughs> I would be dead. And the bear or predator would have the trophy. They'd be shitting out the trophy because they would eat me and yeah. eat me out. I would be fertilizer in the woods. Yeah, that's kind of a, an interesting thing, I think, that separates men from animals or human beings from animals. That they're not sentimental. Like They, they don't give a fuck that they just destroyed a person or a had this huge battle with these two guys. If he won, he would just eat them and shit them out. And it would be on to the next one after that. <laughs> it's not like he, <laughs> like, but human beings are sentimental. You want to have a memory or a memento or something to remind you of this wondrous achievement that you had. 
which isn't a bad thing. I think it's it's good and interesting that it's a, just a human thing to do. I think it also, let's be real, folks. Nature knows it has the upper hand on us humans mm-hmm. at like all times. It just tolerates us. It, it just kind of lets us be as long as we leave it alone. Uh, but push comes to shove us versus them. If you took away our guns, if you took away our like, yeah, reliability or dependability on like technology right. to advance us, if you took that away, we're fucked. Right. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, like, well, and that's like that's the most interesting <laughs> thing. Is like we are we are propped up. Our whole society is propped up by technology at that point. At this point, everything in my house is running on electricity or something. Um, but this movie reminds you, I think, that even though these guys, these guys are trying to return to the original human beings, like what did they do in this situation? Well, they're they kind of have, forced to. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have any food, any water, any way to make fire, any way to make any weapons. So, what can you do? You can make sharp sticks. And you can use just your physical strength, which is not anywhere near the strength of a bear or any other animal. (laughs) You are among the weakest animals in the woods, but you can think differently or you are more intelligent than Mm -hmm. anything. And that is, I think, the moral of the movie at the very end when he looks at the trapper and he says, how did the rabbit, why was the rabbit not afraid of the jaguar? Because he knew he was smarter or more clever than him. Yeah. And so just that the thing between your ears is the only tool you really need. You don't need guns or whatever. Like you can survive (laughs) if you put your mind to it. We just have to actually utilize it and use it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Them killing the bear. It's, it's almost exhausting. The fight doesn't last for a very long time, but it's almost exhausting because when it finally ends, I like how it just immediately goes quiet there's really no swell of music or anything. You just hear the the river and like the sound of the well, sound of nature. You hear Bob kind of like Charles, mm-hmm. Charles, and I love that Charles is just laying there, just kind of like, did that? Did that really? <laughs> yeah. like, did we? Did that just happen? And like I'm alive. Like he's just laying there, just letting. Like I don't want to move. I don't want to. This is okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. And it also take him not being able to move because, you know, he's got a bear laying on him. Right. Uh, but it's his whole face of just laying there like, huh. Like, it's this awesome stunned moment, but mm-hmm. of great achievement. It's not a bad stun. It's just like, wow, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the crazy thing to me is the you you assume that the bear fight would be like the climax of the movie, but there's still like a half hour left of it. And I'm always surprised yeah. at like how much is left. And, and I think it's intentional that that's, that's a big spectacle. It's so exciting, but it's overall just one piece of the movie. It's not the whole point. The point well, is largely our conflict with each other and our conflict with ourselves where I think that right after that's when they have the conversation about as they're walking through the mountains in the past, he's like, I, I want to like restart my whole life. Charles is saying this. He's like, I, even though I have, you assume he has everything he could ever want. He's achieved so many great things. He's, he's not fulfilled by it. 
even though he's has it. Mm -hmm. He would rather he's kind of learned from this experience that there are there's a more fulfilling way to live your life. And it's kind of like become a meme recently that I think a lot of people are realizing this, that society and the industrial revolution, the internet and everything about life has become so easy that it's lost some of its fulfillingness. And so I think that's kind of what Charles is feeling. He's like, I want to, the meme is I want to return to monkey. I want to return to that traditional way of life to actually struggle and toil and, and farm and hunt and actually feel fulfilled at the end of the day. It's very exhausting, but very fulfilling. And so he wants to restart his life and change everything about it. And, and he, and, and they're like, well, I don't know if that's even possible. There was, does anybody ever do that? Um, but he, he's at least motivated to, which is the first step. Yeah. And, and I, you buy that Charles could and probably would just be like, right. So I'm going to like close my banking account. I'm taking my riches mm-hmm. and, uh, or several accounts. Cause I'm assuming billionaires <laughs> have like a thousand bank accounts. I don't know. I'm the farthest thing away from a fucking billionaire. So <laughs> I yeah. don't know how it works. Yeah. Uh, all I know is from movies and TV. Huh? <laughs> all right. Cable guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go watch that movie if you if you didn't get that reference um yeah. i'm not him <laughs> don't worry i'd be worried if you uh, were but anyways like <laughs> i would be worried if i was uh yeah i really like that charles has really hit that moment and it i the timing is perfect after having such this indefinable or undefinable moment in life or uh you can't duplicate that. Yeah. Ever. Right. Like that is such a unique accomplishment. So rare. That will never be matched. What do you do from that? And I think like, honestly, I feel you would almost really want. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I can do that, I think I can leave all this other, but like, I think starting over, not starting from scratch essentially, but like yeah. simplifying after that is the way to go. And that would be the next great achievement is living a simple life right. would be the next great achievement, mm-hmm. especially with all those riches and the plane. Yeah. Yeah. And the ultimate achievement <laughs> yeah, like, to live a life that you are happy with, that you're fulfilled with, that, that brings you joy and is what you yeah. want. And so you can live the most, materialistically worldly successful life and it's not actually a good life if it's not what you want right um yeah it it is shortly after they kill the bear that they come across the cabin yeah it's pretty close like they wander they have that conversation Mm -hmm. uh and then they find the cabin that's got like the canoe it's on a river yeah it's go got and they like start a, seeing all these supplies it's got like first aid kits and a rifle and like they they feel basically rescued at that point like even though they're still remote yeah. there's enough supplies and enough of a plan and a direction to get back that they you can tell they're kind of feeling more relaxed and then you start to see on robert's face bob's face something changing like he he is yeah 
having thoughts in his mind as he's looking and at this Clanu. He's looking at Charles. He's like plotting something. And, and it's almost immediately. As soon as they see the canoe, you can all, that's when you really start seeing Robert trying to calculate, but he's a douchebag. So he can't <laughs> actually calculate. Yeah. I do laugh every time when they find the cabin though. So they go in and you've got Charles who's kind of like studying. He's kind of investigating mm -hmm. and looking around like, okay, so the place is old. No one's been here for a while, but there's like supplies still here that are not out of date. So although no one's been here for a while, someone has been here. Like this is a cabin someone actually uses. Yeah. And I like that. He's just kind of going around looking at it all. Whereas Bob almost immediately sees the gun. He mm -hmm. starts looking at it. He sees the bottle of booze, starts drinking it. Mm -hmm. And then he finds the cigarettes and starts smoking it. And I laugh every time he lights up the cigarette mm -hmm. because as someone who's done hiking, yeah, you've done hiking. Mm -hmm. The last fucking thing you want to do when you finish hiking yeah. is drink rum or whiskey, whatever it is he's drinking, and yeah. light up a cigarette. Your lungs and body are so beat yeah. <laughs> at the end of a hike. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Which <laughs> and I laugh every time. I I part of me, I mean, some people might say he's celebrating. Um, that maybe that's the case, but what I take from it is exactly what you're saying that you shouldn't do that. You're not saved, you're not rescued yet. And so what I take from it is that he he hasn't learned anything he hasn't changed he yeah his character has not grown he is just still that same person who is wasting uh the situation who's being thoughtless who's being careless and being selfish basically and so that's i think an indicator of where he's at and what's about to happen yeah oh yeah to me it's very like yeah this dude is so like how can you be this dumb after yeah. you've done so much how much do you have to go through to kind of like accept the royal bitch slap that this situation's trying to give you first thing you do is light up a cigarette and i'm like man i don't smoke i've got pretty good lungs even after a decent hike not even a huge hike yeah a decent hike yeah you're like, okay, let's get some air back in. You're like, you're really trying to just get your body to like settle. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to just inhale smoke? I right. mean, no offense, smokers, but you don't do that. Yeah, it's not good for that. you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. If someone says he's celebrating, I'm like, no. You and I are on the same page. I'm like, the fucker hasn't learned anything. Yeah, he immediately goes back to the same kind of principle same mentality he's always had which is yeah. like he's selfish he doesn't really put thought to anything and he just doesn't want to learn a lesson mm. and when he starts loading that gun i'm like this fucker yeah this piece of shit right yeah here. <laughs> and it's very fortunate that that charles sees it coming because right before he comes in he's trying to make a fire and he uses the warranty card from his knife that was a gift he's just gonna make a little fire out of it and then sees the receipt and the receipt has not just his watch and hit from with the engraving from his wife and the knife from his friend, but also another watch with an engraving that says, thanks for all the nights. And it's from his wife, Mickey to Robert. 
and you're like, oh, no, that's terrible. yeah. You're like, oh, it's true. Yeah, I love how Charles confronts him. Mm-hmm. I love that he's just watching him load the rifle, and he's just kind of like, hey, let me see your watch. And he's like, oh, I told you the damn thing's busted. And he's like, I just, I just want to look at it. Yeah, and you see Robert knowing right there, kind of like he Uh-oh. knows. Yeah, like, he, he's got to know now. And then he quotes for all the nights and you're like i love that so much because it's to me it's such a boss move it's such a like he's not yelling he's not freaking out he's just kind of like i want you to know that i know yeah (laughs) but now it's all on the table and robert bob's like you knew this was coming you have no right to be with her which every time i watch a movie Mm -hmm. or a show when the piece of shit that is cheating on the spouse, like with the spouse, you know, when like the yeah. extra partner uh, has that line, because they all say it. You have no, you don't deserve them. You you have no right being with them. Every yeah. time I'm like, like how big of a piece of shit do you have to be? Are you really that terrible of a human being? Yeah. And then I'm like, no, we are. <laughs> Bob would work well in the age of TikTok. Let's say that. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) that's true. Well, he's all about the like New York lifestyle, fully like very societal, I guess, lifestyle. And yeah, Yeah. he, he is, he's exactly that thing that you just said. And he, he even takes it further and he's like, he's not just blaming uh, Charles, but he's like, I, I would have, you would have, Charles, you would have died if it wasn't for me out here. I'm like, what are you talking about? No way have you ever contributed anything positive to this thing. And, uh, and yeah, like he starts just like ramping up and blaming uh, Charles for his wealth and stuff. And it's just, he's so, and he's, he's such a coward about it. Like he walks him out of the cabin with a rifle uh, and he's like trying to get him to turn around because he wants to shoot him in the back instead of look him in the eyes. And it's just such a cowardly thing to do. Like, and it ultimately is his demise where Charles actually just like takes one step forward and he falls back into the pit and, uh, and the, the trap and gets, uh, gets stabbed. But it's, it's. And Charles climbs into the pit, aims a gun at Bob. And (laughs) even the first time I saw it, yeah. Even then, I remember thinking like, "There's no way he's going to pull that trigger because Charles, right, isn't that guy." Yeah. Like I, like, I if want anything, him, I want him to just walk away for, and just like leave him in the pit. But leave you're right, him suffering in the pit. He's he's even not that guy. He's the guy who will. <laughs> he was about to be killed by this guy and still chooses to walk, like climb down and help him. Well, and not only does he help him. But I mean, he unloads the rifle, but yeah. then he like the rifle is kind of a tool to help pull Bob out of there. I mean, you don't yeah. really see it, but you see him unload it and like set it near Bob. You yeah. imagine you see like Bob's going to use this as like a prop. He uses it like a <laughs> like a like a splint on his leg. Um, you yeah, can kind of see it later. And, and but yeah, Charles is not that guy, and I kind of like this move more it it comes across as yeah charles isn't that guy Mm -hmm. he's not like sadistic or like has any ultimate you know uh whatever but it's kind of an awesome move yeah like i'm gonna save your ass try to get you to survive even after we get out of here that way now you have to live 
the rest of your life knowing like this kind of shit. You tried to do this shit. And yeah. I'm still here. Like it's, I like that idea. It's like the biggest. <laughs> It's the biggest indicator that he is a good person because you ju- you yeah. are going to help this person that just tried to kill you, save their life and get them back home and essentially forgive them. Like he's not lording it over them like, oh, I'm going to save you and you you owe me or anything like that. He's just he doesn't even like he doesn't even continue the conversation yeah. about the betrayal. He just completely forgives it. Like, just let's just move on from just- it. And so that, that's a big thing. It's he's it's a big indicator that he's a good person. But it's also, uh, I, th- I think it, it is also just indicating that he he kind of wants that friend still. Like it's it it's partly a personality flaw or a weakness that he is. I think he's doing it for partially selfish reasons, but mm-hmm. most mostly selfless, but partially selfish. I think. Yeah, and I just I, I think that's also the final straw. Yeah, for Charles to make his decision that he's going to be walking away from everything because that's how I take the whole conclusion of the film is that he is walking away mm-hmm. like this is done everything before the wilderness that was the end of it as far as he's he knows or is whatever he died or at least that part of him the yeah. business mentality this whatever that's gone it's He's done with that. He's time to move on. Yeah. And I think Bob's betrayal is the official nail in the coffin for that thought. Mm-hmm. It's no longer like, a, I, I think I could leave the whole life. No, now it is. Cause yeah. And it, it <laughs> separates him from his wife. Now his marriage is like, uh, I, I don't know if it's ruined, but it's at least solid, solid soiled. Um, and so now he just feels such a detachment from everything he knows. Yeah. And a, more importantly, he feels attached or attracted to this world, the, the like nature and excitement and all that stuff. Yeah. The, Wait, the yeah. more simple, the, <laughs> yeah, the simple life for sure. And so he, he, he rescues Robert. He brings him down the river in the canoe and, and they're just kind of like sitting around a fire and they have uh, like this whole conversation about, well, Robert is obviously feeling bad he's like you don't need to take care of me i obviously i'm a piece of shit i totally like screwed up and uh and charles is being so nice about it he's like i'm just i'm doing it for the challenge and it's just it's not about like holding it over your head or anything and uh and but my favorite part of the movie is this part where he's robert you can tell he feels pretty ashamed of of trying to As kill he him should he should he absolutely should but he <laughs> he, should. he feels ashamed of it he he tries to apologize for it he's like i'm you're saving a piece of shit like me like it's it's really not i don't really deserve it and so when charles hears the helicopter and he tries to signal it and all of this exciting they're about to be rescued it's so exciting when he turns around and robert died on the on the thing i honestly believe that robert actually did die of shame like he had like yeah. warned about that he couldn't face going back to reality having charles know that the, this had happened or potentially having mickey the what the girl that he liked and charles wife know that jealousy drove him to do this thing or attempt to do this thing that he was going to kill him so he well, is I, too, I ashamed, he also knows- too ashamed to go back yeah and i i think the sense that i get is 
even if they make it, you know, get rescued, make it back home, mm-hmm. make it back to like their world, their normal lifestyle or world, whatever. I don't think had Bob survived, I don't think Charles ever would have like reported the attempted murder. I don't yeah. think Charles would have ever pursued anything. I think he just would have let Robert be forced to come to terms by himself. Right. Like whether you forgive yourself. Cause yeah, you said earlier, Charles kind of is like, all right, shit happens. I've been betrayed before. He's a businessman. Yeah. This is obviously a, a, a another level of it, but I still feel he saw this one coming a million miles away. So it's yeah. just kind of like, ah, uh, the reality I was right again. Yeah. All right. And I think that kind of shame would end up killing Bob in his normal world had he survived at the end, mm-hmm. you know, further down the line, I think he would have died of shame then. But I do agree with you. I think he does legitimately die of shame and just being like, how do I face anything or yeah. anyone? Even if he ended up with Mickey, he would never be able to face her. Yeah. He'd never be able to look her in the eye again. Or really like, enjoy that. <laughs> like you, you never, you didn't earn that relationship. I mean, Charles will probably walk yeah. away from it because he knows it's not real. And so now you may end up with your dream girl, but you didn't, you didn't earn that it's not really real and so he probably would never be happy anyway Mm -hmm. yeah and uh charles gets saved and i like that he does that where he puts the like oh yeah we we forgot to they do ration like not just the trophy of the claws but they use the bear skin and the bear meat to feed them and uh kind of create like extra layers uh which I really like seeing that because that I'm like, oh, that's totally Charles telling him we need to do this <laughs> and this because this is how like yeah, tons of generations survived long before anything else. This is yeah. what they actually did. Yeah, we're gonna um, be white, but I like that through the mountains we need these fur coats. Yeah, and I, I like that he covers Rob or Bob with the the fur as kind of like I take it as not just covering the body like you always see and movies and tv but it's almost like hey you were a part of it you know it, it's kind of like a uh, uh what am i looking for jake uh, i just lost the word but it, it's like here's that added trophy so you don't die like a complete piece of shit almost yeah like, we did this you accomplished this you were a part of this mm-hmm. uh, so i really like that that he does that um i might be looking too far too much into it <laughs> get over it uh but yeah, him going back home, it's so interesting to me because mm-hmm. Charles still maintains a pretty uh, subtle demeanor yeah. up until the very, 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 very last line of the film. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love that. But I love how he like walks up and you see all the reporters. Oh, Mr. Morris, Mr. Morris, which immediately any movie I watch. Mm-hmm. When I see a group of photographers doing that to like people that survive extreme situations, I'm always like fuck off yeah that's the last like, thing the they want. last thing they need or want is a bunch of shuttering cameras and people shouting at them like right there is so much to process that i can't even fathom right of people coming home like go away yeah yeah <laughs> Just exactly fuck off. and this whole idea of like you have to give a statement right after you've been rescued Go away. Just yeah. let me be quiet for a minute. Right. Uh, but I love his, when he like sees his wife again, he's not happy. Yeah. Why would you be? And you can tell she already is kind of like, 
Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think it's so telling that she stays up at the cabin on the stairs. If it was like, if she loved him and he had just come home and this was like a real relationship, she would run down to the helicopter and meet him there as soon as he got off. But she's yeah. waiting, poised, like basically for the cameras at the top of the stairs. And I feel like that's so telling of where they're actually at. Yeah. And I love that he hugs her. No kiss on the cheek, nothing like that, just a hug. And he gives her Bob's watch as the like, to me, it's the nail in the cock. Because I truly believe after the events of this movie, Charles leaves her. Mm -hmm. She's left feeling like a piece of shit, but her career probably still keeps going. In fact, she probably actually only feels like a piece of shit for a short time. I bet she moves on. Probably. Uh, and I think Charles would... I think Charles would live the rest of his life out like either by that cabin or mm. find some other cabin where he just makes his life there yeah, and finishes it off. Yeah. I, I think Charles goes for the quiet life. I think so too. Um, but I, you're right. I love how he, he gives her Robert's watch, which I think is so intentional, not just because uh, it indicates that Robert didn't make it, obviously, but that Charles knows about the engraving on it. He knows about her. Mm -hmm. There's so much, pur it's very purposeful of him, I think, to indicate that he knows everything that's been going on. And also, by the way, your boyfriend's dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and this is done. So not only did you lose your boyfriend, but now you have no husband, which means you no longer have the husband's riches. And even if you yeah. took his riches, he probably doesn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I love that he goes up to make a statement and they ask him, like, uh, how did you feel about, like, you're losing your friends or whatever? Mm -hmm. I forget what they actually ask him. Well, they talk uh, about, like, but it's they keep asking, like, how they died, like, how, how they Oh, died. yeah, yeah. How'd your friends die? And I'm like, what a horrible question to ask. Yeah. But I love that this is the first time that you see Charles kind of get emotional and it's so fast because mm -hmm. it's the very last shot of the film but he he tries to say my friends died saving my life and right as he's saying saving my life he like his voice cracks his eyes well up and then it's just quiet mm -hmm. for like that millisecond and then it and that's credits yeah Which, but i love how i love how he says that too but it isn't true at all so it's just another act of kindness that he offers up for them. Yeah. That but they, but I like, they get to live on as like heroes, even though they weren't. See, I kind of take it more as when he says they saved his life, I think it could be an act of kindness out of that for them or whatever. But I also just sticking with the uh, he's made his choice to leave that this life. I feel mm -hmm. like that's him saying he, he was kind of dead in that life. Mm. Like there was no good. It wasn't happy. It wasn't fulfilling. There was yeah. nothing for him really in that life. And they saved him because now he knows where he's going. That's how I take. Yeah, he wouldn't, final line. he wouldn't have gotten to where he is now without going through all that stuff. And yeah. And even though they died, they kind of had to in the experience in order to get them where they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Now I still think it's, I, I still feel bad for the guy. It's a super bittersweet ending to me because I'm glad Charles makes it. I'm glad that the way I perceive it or hope to hope happens afterwards is that he does find happiness mm -hmm. being in this quiet kind of, 
isolated in life. Um, but they weren't his friends. Yeah. Throughout the whole movie, he has no friends. And that's kind of like, that's shitty. Everyone yeah. should have friends, even if you're rich. But, like, I just, I feel bad for him. So I'm like, they keep asking him your friends. And you're like, but they weren't. Yeah. They were... Bob was an asshole who tried to kill him. And Stephen was Bob's, like, he worked for Bob. Stephen was just there. Yeah, just an assistant like, guy. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I feel bad for him. I do too. Um, the other thing he says right before that, um, he like turns to the well. I think he like saves his wife from answering questions from the media, which is nice of him to do as well. Even though she's yeah. she's a piece of shit, but she's grieving, so it's nice of him. Um, but he tells the media that we're all put to the test, and it but it never comes in the form or at the point we would prefer, does it? Mm -hmm. And that I think ties into everything that we were saying before, where I would love to be tested by a bear or a mountain lion or something <laughs> cool like that, but I probably never will be. And, but we are all put to the test in different ways. And so if you are thinking, if you're paying attention and you're focused on your own life and what you're doing, the little things or the, there may be small things or there may be big things, but you'll be tested somehow. And that, is just as important or it can just define you as much as some other bigger, more, uh, yeah. more fancy thing. So that's a good message to take away from it too. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Life is going to throw a lot of shit your way. Uh, how we handle it, how we move through it, pass it, whatever. Ultimately it's all up on our shoulders. And unfortunately we all seem to just shit the bed like crazy when we're given these tests some, yeah. some people succeed and more props to you guys out there that do that uh i think i, I i'm always learning and failing tests or passing some it, it's great fucking life man <laughs> uh, but the edge is so it's such a great movie uh it's definitely one i wish had a wider audience i i i just think it's a great film yeah it's, it's exciting it's intense it's just you feel fulfilled by the end. I love The Edge yeah. so much. For me, it's just one of those classics. It's it's a great story. It's great meaning. It's it's so well done. It's exciting. The score is great. Uh, the writing mm -hmm. is great. So I, I love it. I, I watch it a good amount. Probably not as much as uh, What's Her Face from The Office, but a good amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if I... well. Jenna Fisher. I, I probably end up watching it like once or twice a year, maybe mm -hmm. at least once a year. I end up watching it. Yeah, because it's just a, it's it's a good movie. It's one of those movies I saw it when I was younger. It came out in like ninety seven or ninety eight, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just a it's one of those movies that just has always stuck with me. And for the most part, I mean, I've met some people that didn't care for it. You people are nuts. Uh, <laughs> your opinion's wrong. Yeah. Oh, how 2022 of me to say, um, <laughs> I'm feeling ranty these days. That, and I can tell we're about in, to get into another rant two in a row. Uh, no, no, I'll, I'm holding it in. Um, but the edge has always stuck with me. And for the most part, when I talk to people who have seen it, they agree. Like there's just something about the edge that, that clicks and it, it sticks with you. And it, it doesn't even the bear stuff as, I mean, the bear mauling scene, 
hearing Steven screaming and stuff, that's brutal. You can hear it. Mm-hmm. You see like kind of an up close of the bear on top of them. But it, it's never too much. Yeah. Like you never feel, I mean, if you compare it to the Revenant, it's intense, but it's not like you don't see his back actually being scored and right. ripped completely open. You don't see that. Yeah. Um, but it does the, it gives you enough to point where your brain is like, Oh, I'll paint this nice picture of how Steven is actually going. And then when it goes <laughs> silent, you're like, Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it kind of takes the, the, the path of letting you imagine it more than actually showing it. Yeah. But I love the edge, man. It's so good. Good. It's so good. I agree. So I don't have any other notes, man. I don't either. I think that's that wraps up the edge for us. Uh, next week, I'm Sweet. so excited for next week's episode. Dude, next week is becoming like such a different kind of. I don't want to call it a beast, but it's becoming something so much different than what I think we initially yeah planned thought it would be. Yeah, if we're. I'm stoked for it because it's kind of like the anti-Oscar episode. <laughs> yeah. I just started like dabbling into it, like starting to think about preparing for it. And I got sucked into I have almost all my notes done. I just got sucked into so many oh things. Oh my God. I'm so excited for it. So we're we're not doing any Oscar episodes. Uh, we don't care to watch any of the Oscar movies. So instead we're going to talk about stunts and stunt men and stunt coordinators and movies yeah. with good stunts. Um, and why award shows are not giving them the, the credit they deserve because it's such a huge part of the movie making process. Like even through stunts are so wide. Yeah. Like there's such an array of stunts and even like com- comedy movies, family movies, there's stunt work in all of this. And I can't believe the Academy has never considered yeah. stunts as being like a category. It's stupid that it's not because there are some stunts in these movies that I'm like, this takes so many people yeah. to plan, to execute to shoot, mm-hmm. to act in, like, holy shit, there are, it's not just the director, like, CGI, nope, it's yeah. like, I mean, you look at Nolan and Inception, but, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, and where, sometimes it's difficult to tell where the line between stunts and just practical effects uh, lie, and often they go hand in hand, um, and often yeah. also conflict with each other or make one more dangerous than the other. So it'll be a very interesting conversation. I think we'll yeah. be a little it'll be a fun cover one. a lot of things in next episode. Yeah. So that'll be the next one. I mean, if you uh so let us know what you think of like the the edge. Yeah. If you've seen it, haven't seen it, whatever. Give us your thoughts, obviously. And the next week, if you're gonna prep for next week, just watch a bunch of cool stunt work. I mean, you can go on YouTube and watch all the behind the scenes stunts of how they plan a lot of this stuff it's nuts and guys i'm telling you there are some stunts that we have seen on film that are like awesome nods to super super black and white silent film stunt work which has some of the most insane (laughs) because they had less resources to work with so like your life was actually on the line right (laughs) Right. (laughs) uh but yeah so i'm excited for the stunt episode that should be a good one yeah I think that's all I got. I think so. Thank you, everybody, for listening. 
we'll see you next time. Yep.